0: My favorite example is the 35 luncheons and teas that I hosted at American University after the brand was developed, but before we launched it. And I did that because I didn't want to be in a big town hall with faculty. I felt like that would set up kind of just an adversarial relationship that would be really unwise. But in small settings where people had the opportunity to share a meal, so I broke groups up into like 12 or 15 at a time.
1: Welcome to How to Market a University, a special podcast series featuring vignettes of Dr. Teresa Flannery's book, How to Market a University. Terry Flannery has spent her entire career in higher education. She was the first marketing director and chief marketing officer at the University of Maryland, the first vice president of communications at American University, and most recently, the interim vice president for marketing and communication at Stony Brook University. At a time of declining public support a shrinking pipeline of traditional college-bound students and a steady rise in tuition and discount rates higher education leaders have never been under more pressure how can they ensure steady or growing enrollments while cultivating greater philanthropic support increasing research funding and diversifying revenue streams in how to market a university terry argues that institutions can meet all of these goals by implementing strategic integrated marketing in ways that are consistent with academic culture and university values enrollify and terry have joined forces to produce enrollify's first ever master course that mirrors the robust learnings and deep insights packed into terry's book over the next eight weeks this special podcast series will give you a taste of what you can expect in the master course but that's it just a taste to unpack all of the language, the frameworks, the tools, and the tactics that CMOs or aspiring CMOs will need to learn to lead the work of marketing in higher education, we invite you to register for the Master Course on How to Market a University at enrolifyorg forward slash mastercourse. Again, that's enrollify.org forward slash mastercourse master course this master course features guest experts like Seth Odell Jenny Petty Jamie Hunt Ethan Braden Michael Stoner Angela Pollock binty Harvey Bob Johnson and many more it's also filled with downloadable templates and worksheets to help you retain the course material and last but certainly not least this course was made possible by the leading agencies in higher education marketing who all came together to support this effort we want to thank Simpson Scarborough mindpower DD agency ology and Carnegie for their incredible guidance and partnership. To learn more about how these firms have helped colleges and universities of all shapes and sizes realize their branding, marketing, enrollment, and advancement goals, hop on over to their respective websites in the show notes below. All right, without further ado, welcome to the How to Market a University podcast series. So Terry, last episode, we talked all about how to go about developing the brand strategy and expression for an institution. And today, I want to pick your brain on how we do that really important next step, which is really focused on the integration of the brand across the institution. And you know, in in case anyone's been living under a rock or is disillusioned it it is really really hard to go about brand integration at an institution simply because of the massive size of, of even even small schools the number of audiences the number of stakeholders right that are that are involved ensuring brand integration is is nothing short of of a significant challenge so i want your thoughts on once brand strategy and expression have been determined how do the best leaders go about communicating this change and then inspiring buy-in from various stakeholder groups in order to ensure that this integration happens.
0: So we talked in another episode about how dearly our constituents hold the institution brand as part of their identity. It's really important, and it matters to them when there's any kind of change at all. And our, that's especially true for our internal audiences, but it's true for even a few kind of steps removed from the institution. So I think there are two things to think about. One is, how do you gain adoption and buy-in? Because if you don't have that, then you have resistance, and no matter what else you try to do to integrate, you're going to be fighting along the way. So getting that adoption is important first. And then second, thinking about where the greatest areas of impact or where your brand goals are. Are designed to hit first and focus there in terms of integration. So let's just take a couple of th- take those pieces and steps on the buy-in. W- you know, certainly if you've done a good job of bringing the community along, following the journey of the development of the brand or the refinement of the brand strategy as you go, then it won't be ta-da. You know, here's something new that you've never heard of before. <laughs> That'd be really bad. But beyond that, you want to really give people the opportunity to see themselves as part of it and so I've always thought that this is a moment to take time to inform the key audiences share what's been done and ask for input and my favorite example is the 35 luncheons and teas that I hosted at American University after the brand was developed but before we launched it. And I did that because I didn't want to be in a big town hall with faculty. I felt like that would set up kind of an, just an adversarial relationship that would be really unwise. But in small settings where people had the opportunity to share a meal. So I broke groups up into like 12 or 15 at a time. And I would, over the course of a meal, just give them the background on the research that had been done, the rationale for the brand strategy, how the brand expression was designed to address that strategy and those goals any information we had about creative testing and then kind of here are some samples of what we imagine this looking like, and here's how it'll work. And instead of kind of asking questions like, do you approve this or do you like it? Instead, we'd ask questions like, how do you see yourself using this? How can we make it better? And that really signals, this isn't something we are asking for your approval. Of. we That's been done. It's been recommended and adopted, but we're looking for ways to make it better. And you can help us do that because you know the institution better than anybody else. That was so effective for so many reasons because people felt like we'd taken time to consult them in a really civilized environment, thoughtful, respectful, all of those kinds of things. It also surfaced brand ambassadors. So people who got really jazzed about it, were like, we need to get that faculty member, in, you know, among our wonks of of all sorts into the early creative expression and it surfaced the gadflies the people who were going to be real critics taking pot chops and pot shots and while that wouldn't uh, necessarily diffuse things it you could at least hear what they were going to say yeah. and you could prepare for those negative responses once the launch was ready so that was one of the smartest things i'd ever done even though i Joke that I gained 10 pounds from all those lunches <laughs> and teas, but it was worth it. We gained other things instead, lots of adoption. And then, you know, the, going back to the other point about you can't integrate it across the institution all at once, it's too big a bite to swallow whole. So think about where to start. If you're really aiming for perceptions of prospective students to change first, if that's a really important part of the strategy, then think about how to integrate it into admissions undergraduate admissions, graduate admissions, as soon as you can in the cycle that's possible. If it's important to focus more on alumni and giving, then those would be areas that you decide to integrate next or first, depending on what's most important. So thinking about strategically taking it steps at a time, it's going to take a few years to get it in across.
1: I'm curious with with your your launch groups, was there a particular audience that you knew I, I need to I need to get their buy in and if I can get their buy in whether it was like an individual like an influential faculty member mm-hmm. or or even just a, a particular group did you did you strategically focus on tapping certain people certain groups before others and did you learn anything about oh if I can get you know the dean of the business school yeah. to buy in you know, the rest will follow or or any like hacks that you learned along the way about (laughs) specific groups to, to introduce these concepts to first.
0: It's like retail politics. Really, (laughs) that's what it is. And, you know, we included some of those people on the marketing task force. So they were even more deeply involved Uh, than just one session on this. But once we got to those other sessions, sure, I made sure that I had somebody who I thought was an influential faculty leader or an influential staff leader in every one of those sessions. You know, we met separately along the journey with all the leaders of influential stakeholder groups Hmm. so the alumni board probably got i don't know four briefings over the course of the development of a strategy same would be said for the student government and that's not everybody but it's representatives whose formal influence is important and then you look for the informal influencers who are going to be with you or against you (laughs) and try to get
1: them (laughs) (laughs) i like that I, i also like your your comments around Not necessarily asking, hey, what do you think of this? Like, do you like it? But instead saying, how would you, how do you see yourself using that? And I I imagine that that was also really revealing for for you and your team and and potentially even sort of shed new new light on areas or insights that you all wouldn't have previously considered.
0: Yep. It it was almost building on the creative testing. It was almost Hmm. another version of that because it extended our understanding of what was going to work, where we should start first. With certain audiences, that kind of thing.
1: Yeah, yeah. So once these initial conversations have happened, and you've got you know buy-in from from most folks, if if not everybody, how have you seen leaders? Whether this is in your own experience or just again anecdotally, or things that you've heard from your your colleagues in the space. What are some tools that folks use to to maintain that integration? I'm sure like at the offset, right, after a university has spent years and tons of resources pouring into uh, a rebrand of sorts or a new brand strategy, there's there's some level of excitement. But then eventually that that, you know, six months in, twelve months in, maybe <laughs> that excitement starts to wane a little bit. And maybe some people start falling into their old bad habits or they're you know, they're they're not as eager to use the slogan in every marketing message that they send out or no. every email communication, et cetera. Right. So What are some tools or or, or tactics that you've seen some some of the best hired marketing leaders do to kind of maintain that integrity over time?
0: Mm -hmm. Well, there's some initial tools to make sure that there's a discipline approached over the life of the brand expression. And there's lots of tools in the toolbox. We talk about them in the course and, and in the book. Here's one early one that's important, and that's a message map. So you take the main expression of the institution's offer that's in that brand platform rubric that we talked about. And it's, it's you know, a, a small phrase or a short sentence or whatever. And you try to think about how to express that with particular audiences. How mm. would this be most meaningfully expressed to alumni, to graduate students, to adult students, to undergraduates, you know, whatever you is the important set of audiences for your institution. And work, work with your colleagues who are the folks who are, you know, the primary power users interacting with those um, audiences to come up with a variation. It's sort of like variations on a theme in music. So there might be different expressions, slightly different expressions, but they all relate back to the core expression of the brand offer. And they look like they belong together as a set. And you can actually map it out so that the whole institution can see how these things are, these variations are expressed for different audiences. You can also kind of, dial up or dial down the expression depending on the context so you know for example yeah, you wouldn't necessarily walk into a donor a meeting with fear the turtle or you know <laughs> what kind of wonk are you but there are versions of that you know <clears throat> what is it that you know passionately and deeply that's yeah sort of how we think about our brand at american university and what is it you're passionate about that we could talk about related to x y or z so You think about how to vary these things as you go. The schools that I've seen that do this integration work really well, I can think of two examples. One is Virginia Tech, Mm. and the other is Rutgers, and I'm familiar with what they've done, not just at the launch or the sustaining of a brand strategy, but they think constantly about putting the tools in places where people need them when they need them in time, We've talked a couple times about providing people with tools so that when they want to do the right thing or the best thing related to the brand strategy, it's easy. So hmm. templates of all sorts make the tools available on your portal so people can grab what they need and do things fairly easily on their own. Virginia Tech and um, and Rutgers both have a brand ambassador program. Huh. And so if you're a faculty member or staff member, you can go through this training and you get certified as a brand ambassador when you're done. And you really understand what to do, what not to do. They're sort of like glamour do's and glamour don'ts (laughs) in this process. And then the, the programs also have recognition. So they recognize faculty and staff members every year that have done a great job of integrating the brand in their work in some way that you wanna reinforce, this is how to do it. To some extent, they've extended that to brand tools for vendors. So if you have freelance groups that you work with regularly, or you want to refer some of the work that's happening to those groups, or if your partner in advancement likes working with a particular video group for for example you run them through a training huh. and then you make sure that they have the tools to do the same thing well and they become an extension of your team that way they've been provided with tools and kind of respect to share the intelligence about what the brand strategy
1: yeah yeah that's a fantastic idea and yeah it's interesting that that's not a little bit more obviously it requires resources but a little bit more mainstream I mean, it In theory it makes a ton of sense anyone that's going to be fiddling with your brand should have to go through some sort of training to 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 know how to effectively work with it right and i think about all the all of my you know agency friends who you know talk about how they'll get like a brand if they're lucky they'll get you know this varies depending on the institution and the department that they may be working with within the context of an institution but they might get like a brand guide with some logos fonts colors but it's very it seems very broad, and sometimes it's it, that's yeah. intentionally so. But then other times it's like, all right, well, any any great creative could work with these very broad strokes and come up with something that looks very different right. and feels very different, but is still following all of like the rules of the sandbox, if you will. So mm-hmm. I, I love this idea of finding a way to force people to go through or encourage people to go through some sort of more meaningful training and it's cool to see that they that tech has this at the for for internal stakeholders let alone for for yeah. agency partners yeah. do you think like another question i had was have you ever seen good examples of like Almost like role playing of like teasing out like hey here here you know for for a specific a specific constituency here here are the do's and don'ts things that you might want to say now oh, I'm almost envisioning like a skit yeah. right have you have you ever seen anything <laughs> done like that to...
0: I haven't seen role role playing but we did take the equivalent of I'm dating myself again print magazines glamour magazine had glamour do's and glamour don'ts sort of like who wore it best now ah yeah and they would um black out the face the at least the eyes of the uh person that they were identifying as the glamour don'ts we did that for (laughs) use of the brand in our brand guide okay these are acceptable good thumbs up these line through them don't do this and it helps people in really concrete structured ways even if they don't understand the principles of design that are going along with it don't do it this way. Yeah. And sometimes just rules of the road help.
1: Yeah, yeah. And I, I feel like there could be more of those those simple examples, right? People don't have a lot of time. I think a lot of the time when there is brand disintegration, it's it's not that it's intentional. It's it's either accidental, right? Or it's it wasn't clear, right? And so somebody didn't, you know, go rogue for the sake of going rogue, but but rather, they just they just didn't understand, or they, it, it wasn't as accessible as it needed to to be for them to accomplish their particular goal. So, another couple questions here in in light of just how you know we, we've touched on this a little bit, but in light of the diverse set of stakeholders that many institutions have. How does a centralized marketing leader or governing body enable department chairs, athletics, admissions, and advancement to effectively leverage brand in their unique respective context? So again, we've talked about this a little bit already, but anything else you might, you might want to add specifically for internal stakeholders?
0: Yeah, I would say that you want to use tools that create expectations. So people know what's the best thing to do, what they should be doing. Tools that express, explain the rationale for why. We work at institutions where people don't just do something because you said so. (laughs) So you have to tell them what the rationale is. And then there'll be a group that'll be more likely to follow along. And you also wanna try to develop consensus around what's the best thing to do. A a couple tools that are good examples here, personas. So the use of personas is becoming more common in higher education, particularly around digital marketing strategies. But you can do that Uh, for your brand overall and give people the sense of if you're talking to uh, an audience that looks like this, here are their roles, here are their goals, here are their kinds of motivations for working for engaging with the institution. It gets into our community members heads. That they should be thinking of a certain type of person when they start to choose how to communicate with them. Yeah. yeah. So again, it's bringing them into the work in a, a fairly easy way with a, a simple tool. When we were working on a reimagining of the student experience at American University, our whole change initiative focused on four types of student segments that we created personas for, so that everyone could be thinking about those. It was very empowering, especially for faculty. Yeah. Yeah. Um, another tool is brand architecture which i think is really interesting and in the book and the course we talk a little bit more about north carolina state who has a great example of this so they look at the relationship between units and the institution looking at both mission and funding sources hmm. so if you're an or a part of the organization delivering on the core mission of the institution like a college or school and you're funded by the university completely then you should be using the university's brand period full stop no adjustments no co-branding no just (laughs) use the university brand there are units that might be delivering on the core mission but have different funding sources and you might give them a little more flexibility Hmm. and then there are units that really are delivering on supportive missions that are related but not core missions. So athletics is a good example of that. And there are units that might have funding sources that are whole or very much different than the university as a whole, like an extension service. And those get to co-brand or do something that's maybe related so you can see the relationship to the university as a whole but have the most freedom to do something different. And that, again, provides a rationale that you stop fighting about use this brand not that brand and you say where does your unit fall based on this structure yeah and then based on that relationship you should be following this set of
1: yeah yeah oh i like that a lot that's a that's a super helpful framework another uh, thing I, I was thinking about which we, we talked about a few days ago actually but i went to george mason university and i remember my cousin who's a few years older than me also went to to george mason and i remember Her talking all about gmu and then by the time i got i must it must have been my freshman year i I distinctly remember all of the swag in like the bookstore it it changed it was i think when i went on a college tour in my senior year i saw a bunch of gmu you know sweatshirts and hoodies and t-shirts and and whatnot coffee mugs and then by the time I got to school for my freshman year, it, everything was Mason, and I know in in hindsight I've done a little bit of digging and know that this was like a you know strategic shift for the university to go from GMU to or George Mason to simply Mason. But what was also super interesting was seeing how that shift happened, and even just how students wore the brand if you will and I will never forget you could always tell the difference between the upperclassmen and the freshmen based off of the hoodies that they were wearing the seniors were still in GMU hoodies but all the freshmen were were sporting mason anyway so I just thought I'd throw that little anecdote in there. I
0: think it's important it does relate to how visual identity and your name conventions relate to an overall brand strategy so when I was first um, the marketing director at University of Maryland we were one institution in a system with 12 schools. Yeah. And every one of them was referred to by an acronym. So we were UMCP. And that was getting confused with UMUC, which is now University of Maryland Global Campus. <laughs> but that creates equity. Yeah. And we were the flagship university of the system. Everyone knew us for athletic purposes as Maryland. And so our visual identity deliberately embraced. we were one of only two institutions in the system yeah. that were allowed legally to call ourselves University of Maryland. So we just grabbed it and made it a huge part of our identity. And every chance I had to get to squash UMCP, I did. It. <laughs> and it took a while. It's yeah. in the same way that, that you've just talked about. It takes years for that shift to happen.
1: But yeah, and I think that, that that's a great story too. And, and, you know, my example of just like how, it takes time, but it it does happen. Like by the time I graduated, everyone was wearing Mason gear, right? And my myself, my friends, my my fellow classmates, we we rarely referred, if ever, to the university as GMU. So it took about four years, but but it happened.
0: You know, I that you've your example also points to the fact that the licensing, the gear, that program is also really really important. Yeah, and so yeah. getting that aligned which is sometimes tricky depending on who runs your campus store, either in person or online, and getting the manager to understand brand standards, having having a licensing program that you're approving and knocking out the things that are not working in the direction of the brand strategy and reinforcing those that are. That's really important too.
1: Well said. My my last question for you, uh, Terry, is if you have any other examples of Models where you've seen brand managed particularly well at at colleges and universities. How how have you seen through again your own experience or different colleagues in 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 the space? How have you seen effective brand integration, especially when um, you've got a well functioning, well operating centralized marketing communications team?
0: Yep. Well, you want to deputize the people who aren't on the on the central team and give them all the tools we've just talked about i think that's important but there's an example that i really loved at ithaca college a few years ago that rachel rubin established while she was there at the avp she recognized that they couldn't her team was too small to do all of the work related to brand Hmm. effectively and they were getting asked for all kinds of things and some of them weren't strategic right and you know some dean's most important brochure was going to have absolutely no effect in terms of the goals on which the central team was focused and you don't want to create a bottleneck that's yeah. not useful right so she created the structure that ended up getting conveyed to internal audiences mainly on the web probably on their portal but they had some print materials to go along with it and they educated the community about them. So they set up A, B, and C priorities. Hmm. The A priorities were things that the central team was always going to work on would always be their individual responsibility, the unit's responsibility. And that would always be their first priority of the work. So the most important university communications and publications would be in that bucket. The second thing would be expectations that made sense strategically if there was capacity and time to do them and the c priorities were not strategic from the standpoint of this central units goals for yeah. the year and the institution strategy but somebody wants to do them right so you in that case say you can work with one of these um, vendors on our preferred vendor list they know how to use our brand yep. guidelines etc here you go off off with you <laughs> and that took away lots of pain points you didn't have people calling and asking for something that you had to tell them no. Yeah. It used to be known as the house of no, and now they were the house <laughs> of yes. Right? You didn't even get conversations about the things that didn't make sense because people knew what to expect. And then, for the things where there were reasonable alternatives, you had some kind of structure to talk about what would get taken in and what wouldn't. That really impressed me.
1: Yeah, I love that. And talk about being just proactive and upfront, and and just clear of like. I imagine that that hopefully saved a lot of emails, uh, a lot of people's inboxes. (laughs) Uh, Well, Terry, this has been great. And for everyone tuning in, this is episode five of How to Market a University, the podcast series. And this is really just a teaser for a master course that the Enrollify team and Terry have put together based off of her incredible book, How to Market a University. So if you haven't done so already, please head on over to enrollify.org forward slash master course and register for the course. Terry, thank you so much for your time. It's been a pleasure.
0: Thanks, Zach. Come on, everyone, sign up. What are you waiting for?